Cool. Good morning, CBC. How's everyone doing today? Really grateful for the, the privilege of being able to give the message uh, this morning, and uh, thank you for the, the kind introduction. And uh, maybe if there's, to fill in a little bit of the details, so um, Ashley, my wife, uh, and I are actually from, originally from the East Coast, and so that's where we were born and raised. Um, Ashley is from New York, and I am from New Jersey, and we have this rivalry about which state is better. Uh, but we all know, right, that New Jersey is the most amazing state in America, right? Okay, so, um, so we have this, this rivalry, and then, like um, Will said, I have three amazing daughters, uh, Alyssa, who's 10, Alexis, who's 7, and Audrey, who's 4, and we do call ourselves the A-team. And so um, if you get confused on who we are, we do it by height order. So if you see me, you'll be, I'm A1, A2, and we just go down the line. And so we will respond to that. Um, about nine years ago, we actually moved to the Seattle area, and that's where um, I, I served a couple years at a Korean church there uh, as the lead pastor. And then about six years ago, I ended up joining Lighthouse Christian Church, uh, joined the staff of uh, a mentor of mine, uh, Pastor Wayne Ogamachi, who just recently retired. And then I also heard that Pastor Wayne was roommates with Pastor Gary back when they were in seminary. So, that's where, so there was a connection there. And then served there for, for many years as an associate pastor, and then most recently as the executive pastor. Uh, and then about a year ago, we moved out here to, to Southern California, uh, and we've been attending CBC, I think, since January. And so we, thank you for the welcome. Our family has loved this church and felt very welcomed here. And so uh, we've been attending here for this last six months, and now you guys have actually graciously invited me to, to preach the message. So. Uh, before I get into the message, another quick disclaimer. Um, it's been a year since I've last preached a message, so I feel like I'm a little rusty. Uh, so I'm hopefully going to shake off that rust and be able to deliver what God uh, wants to say to us this morning. And um, another quick disclaimer. So I have a little bit of a nagging cough. So about a month ago, I ended up getting COVID. And so um, it's been three weeks since I've tested negative. I'm all good, but I have this lingering cough. So if you hear me cough, don't think that I'm going to spread COVID to you. Uh, we're, we're still good. So hopefully this isn't like a super spreader event or anything like that. Uh, but we'll, we'll be okay. All right. Uh, so, so start off, um, just have a question for you. Okay. Have you ever gone to a situation where you became righteously angry? Like, you know, in the scene in which Jesus goes into the temple courts and he starts, you know, flipping tables and he's throwing things around because he's just so righteously angry about what's going on in the temple courts. Have you ever gotten to a situation where you felt that way? Like to a point where you just felt so boiling hot of what was the injustice that was going on and you got angry in this righteous way. So something about me, I grew up as a pastor's kid, and um, my father was a pastor of a large-sized Korean-American church in New Jersey. And I don't know if you've heard of what they say about pastor's kids, right? They say they, they usually fall into these two buckets, right? And they're extreme buckets. It's either <clears throat> that they're really rebellious, right? And they're the, the kid that parents don't want their kids to, to hang out with, right? Or they're the other side, right? They're this really good, you know, goody two-shoes, you know, really good kind of kid, and parents are always comparing their kids to that, that kid and saying, why can't you be more like this, this kid or, or not, right? So for myself, I probably don't fit in either extreme. 
right? If I were to pick a side, I would say I was probably more on the rebellious side. And, and you might come to that same conclusion if I, when I tell you some more stories about my childhood. Um, but I have two older brothers, and my middle brother was actually one of those people that fell into those extremes. So he was considered this punk, rebellious kid, right? He was that teenager that all the parents told their kids to avoid. So they didn't like the way he dressed, so he used to wear baggy jeans, he would sag his pants real down low so he could see his underwear, right? He dyed his hair blonde, right, and then he grew it out. This was like the early days of K-pop, and so like, you know how they had those crazy hair? So he had his ears pierced, you know, hoop earrings, right? And so he would also hang out with the wrong crowd. And so a lot of the, the, the kids would try to avoid um, my brother. And so my middle brother, he just grew this negative reputation. And so to the point where he had all this judgment, all this criticism, so he ended up leaving the church. He, he decided not to come anymore during his high school years. And so during this time, um, my middle brother was a senior in high school. And our youth group, I had just joined the youth group as a middle schooler. And, and we would do this thing where we have the senior send-off. So we would send off uh, any high school seniors to wherever they're going to go and just give them this huge banquet and just a celebration of, of what's going on for them. And so I was part of this planning committee. And so as I was going in a planning committee meeting, and, um, I was looking through the list of invites. And as I was looking through the list, I noticed that my middle brother wasn't invited. Right? And so I was like, why isn't he invited? He's also a senior. You know, my dad's the pastor of this church. Shouldn't he get invited? You know? And so I go and I go to, to one of the upperclassmen who's, who's organizing the event. And he's this guy that's like double the size. And I, I go to him and I say, why is my brother Wesley, why is he not invited? Why is he not on this list? And then he, he says back to me, he says, why would we invite your brother? He's a punk kid who doesn't even come to church. He's a lost cause. And, and I remember him saying those words, and there was this like dark urge coming over me where I just wanted to, to beat this guy up and make him see Jesus early. Right? <laughs> I, I was so angry right, that, that he would say that about my own brother. So I, I remember I yelled back, and I was like, you know, don't ever talk about my brother like that. I felt like I was like Will Smith in a, in a bad way, right? <laughs> and, and then and I was this short, you know, scrawny middle schooler, and then I really needed to assess the situation. This guy's double my size. I'm probably not going to be able to do anything to him. And so I did what any self-respecting man would do at the time. I started crying, right? <laughs> I started crying, and, and I, I stormed out of the room, right? But, but I remember that, that situation like, just like it was yesterday because it was a really pivotal moment for me. Uh, it was a pivotal moment for the future ministry that God would have for me. That experience in, in myself defending my brother um, because of his rebellious nature uh, made me realize that I had this deep longing for those that had run away from Christ. Uh, it was a shaping moment because I realized that my heart breaks for people like my brother who somehow go through different life circumstances and end up leaving the church. Uh, I, I was left with this righteous anger to want to believe that no one is so messed up that they can't come back to God's grace. It was a burden that I was left with on that day. And it became one of the main reasons why I ended up following Jesus into ministry. 
My, my heart was broken for all the people that maybe the church or maybe society declared that they were unsavable or that they were a lost cause. What's that burden that God's placed in your heart? Something that gets you so righteously angry that it gives you the drive and the motivation to rectify or correct whatever problem or issue it is. What's the thing that God has placed in your heart as a burden that, that God wants you to do something about? I want to introduce you to one of my favorite Old Testament characters in the Bible, and it's Nehemiah. Nehemiah is this great book that talks about leadership and faithfulness in service, but as we're introduced to Nehemiah, we find a man who's given a burden, and he allows this burden to become the main source of, of his motivation and drive to doing something about it. And this becomes the driving force in how he leads, how he, how he continues to live his life, and how he continues to follow God. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn with me to Nehemiah, the first chapter, or you can take out your Bible apps on your phones, or you can just look up on the screen. So let me read it for us. Nehemiah 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hen and I, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that, they, that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. While I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant in love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from here, there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this, your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him the favor in the presence of this man. I was the cupbearer to the king. This is the word of God. Would you just bow your head for a quick moment of prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for your grace. We thank you, Lord, for your mercy upon our lives, God, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, for the ways in which uh, you instill a, a burden within us, a calling that, that you give to each of us, God. And I pray, God, Lord, that you would just allow ourselves to be open to, to hearing from you, to receiving whatever it is that, that you want to say to us, or whatever it is that you want us to, to be able to receive, God. And, Lord, that we would be uh, given the, the courage and the strength to, to, to act on whatever it is that, that you give to us, God. So may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing unto you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So to give you a, a little quick 
historical background. Um, so this narrative actually takes place in the years following the captivity of the Israelites. So the Israelites were once this thriving nation through the, the leadership of King David. And, and then, you know, as it moved on to, to King Solomon. But actually, after the death of King Solomon, Israel was split into two nations. So it was the northern kingdom was referred to as Israel, and the southern kingdom was referred to as Judah. But both of them were disobedient, and, and they became conquered. So they were first conquered by the Assyrian Empire, and then after that, they were conquered by the Babylonian Empire. After they were conquered, the Israelites were actually often de deported from their, from their area or from their homelands and forced into slavery. And their most prized city and temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. And so the Israelites were traumatized by this history, all that, that had happened in the last several, uh, several years. And so they were left with no place to go. But God remained faithful to his people. And so what he ends up doing is he prompts the Persian Empire to take over the Babylonian Empire. And the Persians actually functioned very differently. What they would do is that they would actually let the captured people to go back to their homelands. And so the Persians actually allowed the Israelites to go back to, to, to their homelands. But when they actually got back to places like Jerusalem, they discovered that their city and their lands were just utterly destroyed and demolished. And it's in this moment that Nehemiah receives a burden to revive and rebuild the city walls of Jerusalem. This burden compels Nehemiah from complacency into action and to take risks or even to put himself in danger because of this burden that, that God's given him. Do you guys remember um, the cartoon character Popeye the Sailor Man? For some of you older folk, you probably remember. From some of you younger, younger folk, you probably don't. You know, there's the picture. And so, you know, the guy that fights to the finish because he, he eats his spinach. He's Popeye the Sailor Man, toot toot, right? So the, the story or the way that this cartoon goes is, is that Popeye always had this arch nemesis named Brutus. And Brutus would always mess with Popeye. And he would actually always mess with Popeye's girlfriend, this really stickly girlfriend named Olive Oil, right? And Brutus would just always just mess with, with Popeye, insult him, just nag him, and then try to steal his girlfriend away. And then to the point where Popeye, he says that, you know, he can't take it anymore. And so he would always shout out after all of this. He'd say, that's all I can stand. I can't stand no more. And then he'd bust open a, a can of spinach, eat it, and it's like steroids to him. And then he just like goes and he's like jacked and then he like beats up Brutus. Okay, and he saves the day. In this first chapter of Nehemiah, Nehemiah receives a Popeye moment in which he's given this burden, something that bothers him so deeply that he's moved from complacency into action. Have you ever had a Popeye moment in which you received a divine burden for something you could make an impact in? Is there something that unsettles you, disturbs you, upsets you, to the point where it makes you move from sitting still to standing up and moving forward toward change. What breaks your heart? What's in it in this life that literally moves you to tears? Maybe it's the plight uh, of the urban youth. Maybe it's the homeless community. Maybe it's global poverty. Maybe your burden is caring for um, unwanted children or the difficulties of, of single parenthood. 
Maybe it's the burden for those that haven't met Christ yet. Just as God has gifted each of you individually with your own gifts and your own talents, God may be also gifting you with this burden that you have for others. A burden in which it will drive you to make a difference in this world. And if you can't seem to figure out what exactly that burden might be that God's placed within you, then I encourage you actually to to pray this, this simple but powerful prayer of, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. And just each day, maybe this week, when you wake up this morning, just ask God to just pray that prayer, simple prayer. God, break my heart for what breaks yours. And maybe God will open up your eyes to see what exactly that divine burden that God's placed within your heart. And maybe what's that plight or what's that issue that maybe you can have an impact in. And I believe when we actually understand God's heart, it draws us closer to who God is. It's a powerful moment when we can go closer in our relationship with, with God as we get to know God's heart even more. See, in Nehemiah's situation, Nehemiah receives this great burden uh, of wanting to rebuild the city walls. And you might think, that's a bit of a strange burden, okay? Um, well, what's the point of that? But in a time like this, a city wall, a city which actually without walls was, was just hopeless. City walls were the main primary form of protection and defense. And so if you didn't have city walls, you can rebuild the city. But if you didn't have any walls, someone could attack you easily and just demolish everything again. And so it was vital for the success of a city to have city walls. And so Nehemiah receives this burden to go ahead and rebuild the city walls. And after he hears about how he needs to do something about it, he he goes into action. And there's three key things that I I want to draw out um, in how Nehemiah learns and how he moves forward. And there's three things that allow Nehemiah to live out this burden. The first thing is, is this, is Nehemiah allows the burden to totally wreck him. And so the first point I have is that allow the divine burden to have the capacity to totally wreck you. So after hearing about the report about the city walls of Jerusalem and how they were broken and everything, it says in verse 4 that Nehemiah heard these things, sat down, and he wept. He was so shaken up for his concern for his people that he was filled with emotion, with tears, and he wept. And not only that, he actually mourned and he fasted and then he prayed before God. Whenever God has given you a burden, you need to respond to it with your whole self. You need to give it room to really speak to your heart, to your soul, and even allow it to give you uh, the, the, the strength or the, the energy to actually move you to tears. It's easy for us to stay emotionally detached or from the concerns and burdens that maybe God's given you. It's a lot easier to not concern ourselves with the things that break God's heart. Uh, we don't want to think about it. It's uncomfortable. We also don't want to inconvenience ourselves to to maybe these burdens. But what we see in Nehemiah is that he allows himself to to allow this burden to just overwhelm him and just wreck him, to flip his world upside down. And this burden actually changes his life forever. Almost 12 years ago, um, if you remember, there was a devastating earthquake uh, that hit Haiti in, in 2010. Uh, the earthquake ended up tearing apart the, the capital, the city of Port-au-Prince, and devastating the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. 
The death toll was about 220,000 people, and it had displaced about 2 million people. And some estimates say that those are actually on the low side. Right? Um, many of these displaced people, they, they go into these makeshift tent communities. And so in that summer, um, my previous church in New Jersey, uh, we decided that we wanted to send a team to help in the relief efforts, the, the rebuilding efforts. And so we actually sent a team of 12, and we partnered with an organization called Grace International. And so when I went there for the very first time, I was actually utterly shocked at, at the amount of poverty in this country, right? You, you see the intensity of poverty right when you step out of the airport where there's kids just begging for, for money, begging for, for food, right, on the streets. There's just trash everywhere. It's just, it looked horrible. Um, and so we went and we actually started helping out this organization and they had this tent community where all these people were displaced and it was about 2,000 people that they were serving uh, in that community. And they had this small ministry that they would do. It was a feeding ministry called the Lord's Kitchen. And what they would do is, is they would actually serve a simple meal to the kids of that community. Serve them rice and beans. And it was just a really simple meal. And this would be a meal that these kids would probably eat and they would go maybe a couple days before they would have another meal. This would be their only meal that they would have. And so it was a really simple ministry, but a very powerful ministry. And what they would do is they would actually have the kids line up and they would come into this area and then they would go ahead and they would sit on the benches and these tables and then we'd pray for the meal and then we'd go and then we'd actually give them a bowl of rice and beans. And so they would go and they would do groups of like 30 kids and then they would go and they'd rotate and do another group of 30 kids and, and they would just do it all throughout the day. And I remember when I was serving in that ministry, I remember seeing these kids and there was one kid in particular that I saw. It was a kid that was probably maybe only about 14, 15 months old barely able to, to walk, right? And he, this boy comes in, and he walks in into the, the feeding ministry, and he had to actually help him to get onto the bench and sit down. And, and he goes, and I, and I sit there, and he can't even really use his utensils. And, and my, my four-year-old, she can't even use her utensils, and, and she's four years old, but yet here's this 14, 15-month kid trying to use the spoon to, to feed himself. And I see this little boy, so I sit down next to him, and, and I try to help him. I try to help him eat. And, and he's eating at, at a pace that's just so slow, and they need to have the turnaround of, of having multiple kids come in, a group, different groups of kids come in. And so I just remember sitting and trying to feed this kid. And as I'm trying to feed him, I just start weeping. I start bawling. Because I, I begin to imagine... What, what the heaviness of, of God's heart as he's looking at these children, struggling to survive, trying to just have one meal for several days to hold them off, to help them to survive. At the time, I wasn't a father yet, but yet I could just feel the, the weight and the sadness of, of what that, that felt like for God. And so I was just sitting there just bawling and, and, and trying to, to feed this young child. But that day, that it just truly messed me up. When you're seeking out what God wants you to do, you need to be open to letting this burden that God places in your heart to have the ability to wreck you. I know for a lot of men, right, it's, it's hard for us to show any kind of emotion or, or signs of weakness. 
But I believe if you really want to understand God's heart, you need to be open to allowing God's divine burden to just really mess you up, overwhelm you, and wreck you. And usually when we allow this to happen, the burden we have can actually transform from uh, what it is that this burden to a blessing. A blessing in the way that you'll actually become closer to understanding God's heart for you and for the world. So the first thing that we learn from Nehemiah is that he allows this burden to just mess him up and move him from a place of complacency to action. The second thing that Nehemiah does after he receives this burden is that he actually moves to a place of confession and repentance. My second point is this. Confession and repentance allows us to move forward in redemption. In the latter half of verse 7, Nehemiah confesses the sins of himself and the people and his family. And he recognizes that the sins that were committed were actually acts of disobedience and wickedness. And so directly after this confession, then Nehemiah refers that, that God is merciful and just to forgive when you return to him in obedience. This is a key part of Nehemiah's journey of faithfulness and living out this divine burden that God's placed within him. He realized for in order for him to move forward, he actually needed to confess and to repent and to leave the past behind so that he can move forward. Often I feel like we discount ourselves from being able to live out these burdens that God's given us simply because of our sins or our pasts. Right? We let the past define who we are. And we feel paralyzed from being able to move forward because we always say, God if, God, if only you knew how messed up I was, or if you only knew how disobedient and rebellious I was, you would never ask me to do anything for you. We say, well, we've done so much terrible things in the past, there's no way I could be used by God. Right? God wouldn't dare to ask me because I'm, I'm such a terrible failure. But the hope is that God desires and wants for you to experience his mercy and his redemption. And not only to experience his redemption, to be, allow you to be a part of his redemptive plan. And so for Nehemiah, he realized in order for him to move forward, he needed to confess. He needed to repent so that he could move forward. If you know anything about me, you'll know that I love watching movies. Um, have any of you guys seen the movie Top Gun? Maverick, how many have seen it? It's a great movie, right? Awesome movie, okay. Um, so the movie I'm going to refer to is a lot older, um, but I, I love watching movies because I love the stories and I, I love using them as sermon illustrations. But uh, the one I'm actually going to talk about is a movie called The Mission. Do you guys, have, have any of you seen this one? Anyone? It came out in 1986. So some of the, our wiser uh, contingency, maybe you've seen it before. Um, but it starred some really young, you know, budding actors, Robert De Niro, Jeremy Irons, Liam Neeson. And it's a story of Jesuit missionaries in the jungles of Paraguay during the 17th and 18th century. And Robert De Niro, he plays this Spanish adventurer who goes to these settlements and he actually slaughters the, these people and he enslaves them. And he was this ruthless man who had this huge temper which culminated to the point in which he actually kills his own brother. I'm sorry, spoiler alert. I know I shouldn't have spoiled it, but this is a 36-year-old movie, movie, so it gave you ample enough time to, to watch this movie, okay? So I don't feel bad. But I've actually spoiled a lot of movies in my sermon, so people get really mad at me. 
But back to the movie. So afterwards, so, so this, this man, the character that Robert De Niro plays, he's filled with anger and he goes and it culminates to the point where he kills his brother, who he dearly loves, but it was actually in an act of rage that he does it. And so then he looks at his life and he's like, dang, like what has happened to me? I'm this horrible human being. Like, look at my life. And so he turns away from his life and he goes into this, this path of repentance. And so one of, one of the things that he does is he, as this form of repentance and penance, what he does is he actually travels to the mission settlements in, in the mountains. And on the journey, what he does is he actually ties a rope in, in, a, in a bag with all of his armor, the armor that he used to actually hurt and oppress these people. And so he holds it on his back and he's climbing this mountain. There's many times where he actually could fall to his death, but he holds it back and it's really, really heavy. And finally, he gets up to the top to the mission settlement where there's all these natives and these villagers that, that are there. And these are the same exact people that he had oppressed. He, the same exact people that he had actually killed and enslaved. And one villager goes and sees this man. And so he takes a knife and he runs over to, to harm him. And one of the village elders yells out and, says, and stops him and, and says something to him. And so this villager takes this, this, this knife away from his, Robert De Niro's neck, and then he goes and he cuts off the, the rope that was holding all his armor, all the heavy armor. And it's in this moment that Robert De Niro receives mercy. And it's in that moment where he decides to transform his life, and he actually ends up becoming one of the missionaries that's part of the settlement, and he changes his life 180, and he moves towards serving and caring for those, these villagers. But Robert De Niro's character, he experiences the mercy and the redemption. And in that, when he experiences that, he allows himself to move towards being someone who redeems others as well. For us, many times we look at our past, we look at the sins that we've committed, and we say, it's all these things that stop us from being able to live out this burden that God's given us. But what God wants to say to us is that if we confess and if we repent that God is merciful and just and he restores us and he redeems us so that we will have the strength and the capacity to move towards being people and bringers of justice and redemption as well. And so that's actually the second thing that Nehemiah does where he confesses and he repents in order for him to receive that redemption and actually to go and to be a person of redemption. Here's my last point. So by the end of this passage, Nehemiah begins to remember God's faithfulness and his willingness to empower his people. Verse 10 says that they are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. What Nehemiah is referring to is the historical event of God delivering his people from the hands of the Egyptians. And so Nehemiah remembers God's faithfulness. And what it does is that gives Nehemiah hope to begin to go take action. The last point is this, is that as God impresses this burden upon you, we're moved into taking a courageous step of obedience. Just as God moves within us and stirs our heart, it should compel you to take action and to, because of the hopefulness of what we see in God. When we begin to remember God's faithfulness, we begin to have true hope. And that very same hope allows us to live courageously for him. I'm thinking that as I've been speaking to you, maybe God has reminded you maybe of a particular burden or an issue that, 
that you want to feel like you want to be bold in, you want to be courageous in. But you also find that you have doubts. You wonder if you even have the ability to, to make a difference. You doubt whether you, this particular burden is just so big that you feel like yourself as an individual, like what, what, can, you, what can you do? What kind of impact can you have? The, the challenges are so huge. The, it, it's so complex. What could one person do in, in making an impact? You feel discouraged because you feel like you're too little of a, to, to make that impact. So I, as I shared before, I, I took a team uh, of 12 to Haiti after the earthquake in 2010. A year later after that trip, we took another team to go out um, another team of 12 to go out and be a part of the, the relief efforts. And so we go and we take another team of 12, we go back to Port-au-Prince, and after a day, couple of days of being in Haiti, um, we actually noticed that a lot of the issues that, that we had seen a year ago uh, were still there. Uh, we had initially come to Haiti hoping that there was a lot of progress that could have happened in that year's time since we last got there, um, but we felt like Nothing has changed, and we felt like we weren't accomplishing anything. Many of us, especially myself, felt really discouraged. We felt like, what's the point? Like, what are we doing? And then I was actually reminded of a story uh, that I actually taught and told our, our team right before the trip. And it's a story about a boy and, and these starfish. And the way the story goes is that there's this man walking uh, along the beach, and he sees a bunch of starfish Thousands of starfish washed up on the shore. And then he notices there's this young boy going and picking up a starfish and then throwing it into the ocean. And he goes, the boy goes, picks up another starfish, throws it into the ocean. So the man goes to the boy and he asks, what are you doing? And the young boy tells him, I'm throwing uh, the starfish back into the ocean. The, the, the surf is up, the tide is going out, and if I don't throw them back, they'll die. The man replies, son, don't you realize that there's miles and miles of beach and thousands and thousands of starfish? You can't think that you'll make a difference. After listening to the older man, the young boy bends down, picks up a starfish, and throws it back into the water. Then smiling at the man, he said, to that starfish, I made a difference. So I tried to remind my team about that story to give them a sense of encouragement and hope. But I don't think it actually truly made an impact in my heart until the very next day. So, um, like I said, last time we served in a ministry called the Lord's Kitchen. And so they actually had this ministry continued going, but they actually tweaked it a little bit. So instead of having the kids come over and sit down on benches, right, um, and, and then eat the meal by themselves, what they found was a lot of these kids would actually go and try not to eat a lot of the, the food and then bring it back to them and bring it back to their families in a bag or in a bucket, right? And so they thought, okay, what's the point of having them come sit down and eat it and then have them take it home anyway? So might as well just have them come and bring either buckets or containers for themselves to, to get the food and then just bring it back to their families and just share it with their families all together. And so they would have these kids come again, line up, and they would line up in whatever container that they had. And they would go and line up and get another simple meal of rice and beans. And um, I remember one of my friends, his name is Rocky, a dear friend of mine. He was sharing about his experience that particular day. 
And he shares how he saw this young boy uh, waiting uh, at a rock. And he had this food in this, this metal bowl, and he was waiting at the rock, and he had laid it down on his lap. And he sees him just sitting there for maybe a minute or so. And then he sees the young boy stand up and then go and walk along the rocky path back home. And he sees the unthinkable. He sees this young boy trip. And he falls, and he throws the, the bowl into the air, and all the food falls on all this mud. And so he sees this little boy. He had all this hope in his eyes. And then once that happened, he just looked devastated. And you see him, he's so devastated to the point he can't even cry. He's just staring at the food. And Rocky didn't know what to do, so he looks at this boy, and so he just goes and he just grabs this young boy. Grabs him, takes the, the, the metal bowl, and he runs back to the servers. And he runs back to the servers, and he, he goes to them, and he pleads with them, and he says, hey, can you fill this, this bowl? And then the, the servers noticed that the bowl still had these remnants of rice and beans in them, so they said, no, we, we, can't, fill, we can't do seconds. We, we can only fill one bowl. We can't do this. And, and Rocky just pleads with them, no, no, please, please, you don't understand. You, you have to fill this up. You have to fill this up. After a lot of back and forth, finally the servers say, okay, okay, we'll fill it up. So they fill up the bowl. And this young boy, he, his eyes just, his hope comes back. Right? And so Rocky goes and he takes the, this metal bowl and he brings him back and he, and he goes and gives it to the child. And the child then goes, takes it, and then goes and sits back down at the rock again. It's actually in this moment that Rocky remember or understands why this young boy was actually sitting at the rock in the first place. It, he was so filled with adrenaline that he didn't realize that as he was actually touching this metal bowl, the metal bowl was in this, this, all the sun, and it had gotten so hot. And then when the food was placed into the bowl, it, would, it transferred all the heat to the point where it actually had burned Rocky's hand when he had been holding the, the bowl. And it was so hot to the point where any child's hand would get burned as well. And so this boy, it was so hot for this boy that he needed to sit down at the rock and let it cool before he'd be able to go home. And so after a few minutes, the boy sees that the, the, the bowl's not that hot anymore, picks it up, and then he goes back to his home. When Rocky shared with us that morning, or that, that evening as we were debriefing, I realized then that we were indeed making a difference. Rocky made a difference in that young boy's life. It, it didn't look like he was doing anything quite crazy or special, but to that young boy, he was a hero. Right? Just as we were serving many other hungry kids, giving them a meal to eat, we were making a difference in their lives. We were serving Christ in those moments and making a difference to those kids. It didn't look like much in the grand scheme of things, but we knew in that instance that we were serving Christ as God wanted us to serve. See, we all have a choice. You receive this burden for something, and you could decide to just do nothing about it, right? and just say, uh, I, I can, there's nothing I can offer, or, or lay all these excuses and say things like, I'm just too busy. My life is too, too much. I can't add this part. Right? Or you can decide to step out in faith. Take action in being bold and courageous and allow God to work through your obedience. When we begin to take that latter option, 
we end up finding out that we indeed can make a difference. God doesn't call us to, to be a superhero to, to, to everyone. Right? God simply calls us to be obedient, to act out in faith. He has placed a burden within your heart. And it's on you then to decide, what are you going to do with that? Are you going to be bold and courageous and obedient? Or are you just going to let it sit there and just rest? God wants to make an impact through you. But it's on us to really believe that we can actually live that out. God wants to make a huge impact through you and through the world that we live in. Do you believe that? Amen? Let's pray together.